My name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. Today we get to open in our Bible to Daniel chapter 1 and begin a new series, the first part of that book, focusing in on the life of, I think, one of the most interesting and powerful characters in all of the Bible, Daniel. Now, Daniel is one of the few people that, as you go through the Old Testament, there's actually nothing negative said about him. I'm sure he had weaknesses in his life, but they're not recorded. You know, you read about David or Moses and you go, wow, those guys had highs and lows. Daniel is a consistent, faithful light to the truth of God. And when we read his story, it challenges us not just to look back and say, wow, you know, look what a guy who lived a few thousand years ago did. But I feel and I believe that Daniel's life parallels our lives in many ways. Daniel had to stand for Christ in a place that didn't understand and didn't care what he believed. Daniel had to face a world filled with wickedness and still stand, sometimes alone, sometimes with just a small group of friends, for what was right, even though the world around him would mock that stand, laugh at that stand, sometimes even directly attack uh, those who would believe in the truth about God. Daniel's amazing in the inspiration that he brings, but we don't give the credit to Daniel. In fact, as we read, we'll find that God directed Daniel. God gave Daniel supernatural gifts and abilities, even cognition and just the ability to comprehend things uh, that, that set him apart. And God used Daniel to shine light to the whole world of that time. Now, if you remember back from high school history lessons, you might have heard of things like the Babylonian Empire or the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel was a key player in both of those global empires. Daniel here, a young man from the tribe of Judah living in Jerusalem after it was a defeated nation and then exiled to a different place, Daniel somehow worked his way into a scenario where he literally made a global difference. And it started with some really small, seemingly unimportant choices he made in his early life. And that's where the story of Daniel picks up in Daniel chapter 1. So turn there in the Bible, we'll read through the narrative together, and then think about what it means for us. And I'm excited over the course of the next few weeks, we'll open up the stories that you might have some familiarity with. King Nebuchadnezzar having dreams, and Daniel being called, or... Uh, King Darius issuing the decree against prayer and Daniel standing firm and getting thrown into the lion's den. All that's a part of the story, but it all begins with Daniel as, in all likelihood, a 16-year-old being moved from his homeland to a place not of his choosing. Um, He moved from Jerusalem to Babylon, from a place where culturally he could find I don't know, some sort of comfort and ongoing encouragement to do right into a place that was known for its wickedness, for its atrocities, for its violence, for its immorality. And Daniel, as a 16-year-old, was somehow able to make that transition and keep his faith strong. All right, so let's learn about how he did it. Daniel 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So back in the good old days here, when you would fight an enemy, you didn't necessarily have to go in with bows and arrows and some sort of pitched battle. Uh, You could, if you were the bigger army, just surround the city of your enemy and starve them out. They can't get out to their farms. Eventually they run out of supplies and they have to give up. 
So that's what happened to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had been conquering his way across the Middle East, and Jerusalem was one more stop on the journey. So from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, this wasn't that big of a deal. But from the plan of God and the perspective of the Bible, this was a massive shift in what was happening in the plan. And this was something that God allowed to happen. Okay, we see that in the next verse. The Lord gave him, that's Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take the sacred objects from the temple of God. So you can go back to the Old Testament time of Leviticus and think about the tabernacle and think about the priesthood and all the holy items and the holy clothing and the, all the ways they would represent holiness and purity. All of that got wiped away. And anything that was valuable got carted off to Babylon and stuck into the treasure house of, a, of an idol. And at that moment, you, if you were looking at it from, through the lens of just history, you might say, wow, the people of Jerusalem, God's people, the people that Moses led out of Egypt, that people group essentially is destroyed. That people group is not going to last. Like, they're everything about who they are has been pillaged, destroyed, Many of them have been murdered, and it wasn't just the sacred objects that got carried to Babylon, it was also the best people. So what they would do as they were conquering a land is rather than waste talent out there, they'd kind of take a poll and find out who are the, who are the people that are really smart, who are the up-and-coming leaders, who, who's trainable, and they would take them and force them into the service of Babylon. Daniel was among those. Verse 3. It says, so Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Hey, Daniel, you could imagine, grew up in, in today's vernacular, what we might call a Christian home. Right? So even though there were problems in Jerusalem's culture as well, Daniel would have been surrounded by people who generally did worship God, uh, who, who the, the, the law of God would have been there. He would have known the principles of what it meant to walk as a believer in God. But in Babylon, nobody cared about God. Most of the people probably had never heard of God. From their perception, the God of Jerusalem was just another one of the defeated deities that their God and their king had, had conquered. So they wouldn't have had any respect at all for Daniel's belief system. Well, verse 4, as, the, as this Ashpenaz is now selecting some people, he says, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. So raise your hand if that's you. Oh, you don't have to do that, but you know who you are, right? So select the best people you've got. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted in knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So what you want here is renaissance men, right? The kind of people that are just, they can, they can master anything they put their minds to. You get those people and you bring them into the service of Babylon and Babylon gets even greater. That's the logic, right? Uh, now for Daniel, you, you might imagine this is like a lucky break, right? Because many of his friends and family were likely killed in the siege, Uh, Many of them would have been pressed into different kinds of slavery in Babylon, but here Daniel is one of the people who gets pulled out from the crowd and taken to the royal palace and invited literally to live with the king. 
and to be schooled in the language and literature of Babylon. Daniel gets to go to Harvard, right? He's got it made. But let me ask you, if that was you, maybe on an earthly perspective, you'd be like, wow, I mean, the cards have been dealt and this isn't the worst card to draw. But what would have been threatened in Daniel's heart by all of this? His faith. Because in this situation, wouldn't it be easier to step into this new land with new masters, new education, new plan, far from parents, likely never to see homeland again, there's no home church to go back to, nobody's looking over your shoulder anymore, would have been pretty easy for Daniel to just say, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to make it here. I'm just going to fit in with the crowd. Daniel had to decide, his first choice actually, when he was there in Babylon, would he hold true to faith or would he become a Babylonian? Okay, well, we continue on. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, which even there, Daniel's, everything in Daniel's life right now would be saying to him, leave Jerusalem behind. Leave the Bible behind. Leave your parents' faith behind. Embrace this new story and make the most of it. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. And those characters will show up in a few weeks as we go through the narrative. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So of all the things in God's law to drive a stake in the ground and say, I can't move past that. I mean, Daniel's in a really complex situation right now, and he's really at the mercy of the people around him. They could say, man, you're too much of a pain to have around. You're out. Daniel could have said, you know, I'm not going to commit any big sins. Like, I'm not going to murder somebody or commit sexual immorality or something, but I think I should let the dietary restrictions slide because, after all, I'm in Babylon. I'm hundreds of miles from home. I'll never even get back to the temple. The temple might not even be there. But Daniel, in his heart, started with this very small thing. In the Jewish upbringing, in the Old Testament, the dietary restrictions they were under were a demonstration of their commitment to God, the purity of their heart. And so if Daniel was to let that go, to compromise on that, there would be nothing stopping him from making the next compromise and the next compromise and the next compromise and eventually basically being a Babylonian. So he takes this stand. He asks nicely. He asks if it's possible to change plans. Verse 9, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Things were kind of extreme in Babylon. It wasn't like, hey, we're rearranging the organization. You don't quite fit here. No, if you mess up, you get beheaded and someone will replace you. So the chief of staff here has a lot riding on whether things work out for Daniel. So Daniel's request is going to require not only Daniel's faith, but this guy's faith as well. 
Daniel spoke with the attendant who'd been appointed by the chief of staff to look over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. All right, now who wants to sign up for that? Not a lot of takers, okay. Um, but Daniel, you know, he had, the, he had the plan. He said, at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested him for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who'd been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams, which is going to come in really handy in the next chapter. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters throughout his kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. There's a whole bunch of world history that happens right there, and we'll walk through it as we go forward into the book. What we find is that Daniel, from day one, as a teen, had to make a decision of whether or not he would stand out in a very wicked and dark scenario, or if he would turn inward and say, you know, I could just pray silently in my head. You know, I could just, I'll eat the king's food, but I'm just going to pray for God's forgiveness as I do it. Uh, Daniel could have said, you know, nobody else respects this here. I need to be friends first before I make any kind of stand for what's right. But Daniel from day one recognized his loyalty, his commitment was to God, not to whatever king he was in the service of. Say, I'll, I'll serve the king, I'll, do, I'll go to Harvard, I'll, I'll, I'll do what the Babylonians are asking me to do up to a certain point. But my loyalty to God comes first. And because Daniel made that decision, we find his life having immense impact on the world. All right, so let's, let's look at a few principles we derive from that. Daniel's first choice in Babylon was to pursue holiness knowing he was set apart for God's kingdom purpose. So even in a moment when it would be tempting to be really discouraged, Daniel could have said, God, why didn't you save my people back in Jerusalem? God, why didn't you let me off the hook? Why did this have to happen? Rather than getting angry or bitter, Daniel recognized, no matter where I am, I have to serve God first. No matter where I am, my commitment is to him. His first choice was to not let go of that commitment. A question for us. What if a choice to be holy is what stands between you and your best future? Now, in the world's eyes, they might go, you know, they might kind of define that best future as having everything you ever wanted or having a you know, great bank account or fantastic relationships, a really comfortable life. But Daniel's best future didn't involve all of those. It kind of involved some of that, but it also involved some real trials and tribulations. 
But God used Daniel in a way that impacted earth and eternity. And I believe God used Daniel because he chose to recognize he was set apart for something special. He wasn't going to float along with the world around him. So, question to you then, what is your Babylon? Probably not as extreme as Daniel's Babylon, uh, but if you think about where is your faith tested, where are you tempted to shrink back? All of us have an answer to that, right? You might, you might imagine that you could pick up a remote control and click it and boom, there's a big widescreen version of Babylon right there to follow. Maybe when you walk into work, you feel like you're walking into a den of lions, all sorts of temptations. Maybe when you go to school, you, re- you realize, well, this is probably a lot like how Daniel felt. Nobody even understands what my faith is. Everybody would make fun of me if I was vocal about it. What do I do? What's your Babylon? And in that place, what will a holy commitment to the Lord look like? Will be a lot different than how Daniel had to demonstrate his commitment. But each of us, when we recognize that God comes first and the opinions of our bosses or friends or the world around us come second or a distant third or maybe below that, um, we start to look up to the Lord and we say, Lord, where do you, what do you want me to do with my life that's set apart? I'm not supposed to look the same as everybody else. I'm not supposed to maintain the same values as everyone else. It should be obvious that I'm following you. Lord, what will that look like in the scenarios that I walk into every day? So here are a few ideas, kind of based on how Daniel, we see him just in early life here, starting this precedent that we're going to see unfold in front of us in the weeks ahead of where this led him. Uh, But here's a few observations. Being holy, being set apart for God's use, means I'll invite God into my daily life. Daniel was not the kind of person who would say, yeah, I go to church on Sundays, or back then Saturdays. Uh, Daniel was not the kind of person who just said, you know, uh, Christmas and Easter, I'll thank God for the food or whatever. No, Daniel, this was a daily commitment that he had. God was first in his heart. And so when you say, Lord, I'm set apart for you and you're involved in my daily life, a practical way to think of that is that you're referencing your life based on God's opinion, not your own opinion or the opinion of your friends or coworkers. So you're you're walking into a situation saying, Lord, who do you want me to be and what do you want me to do? In Colossians last year, we learned about how our lives are to be saturated with God. Our, 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 Our lives are to be filled and indwelled by the word of Christ. I think Daniel demonstrates that principle so well. Okay, so simple discussion or simple beginning point as you're praying to God about this, say, Lord, I don't exactly know what holiness will mean in my context, but right now I want to invite you into the story. Lord, if I've been pushing you to the side or keeping you contained on Sundays, Lord, I I want you to be a part of every day of my life. Being holy means I'll avoid what's defiling or distancing or distracting. Okay, so for Daniel, that was the king's table. Uh, For each of us, it could be something different. But if you close your eyes and you just say, Lord, what is it that either defiles me, that's kind of brings dirt and mess into my heart, what is it that's distancing me from you? 
what is distracting me from your plan, you'll have a pretty good idea of what you can avoid. To say, because my loyalty is to God's kingdom first, I don't want my life to be wasted on all of that. I would much rather focus on what matters the most. In Psalm 139, the psalmist is praying and he says, Lord, search my heart, try my inner life, like look into the depths of my soul if there's anything that offends you. Show me any wicked way that's inside of me. And so as we venture into Babylon, we recognize, Lord, this is not going to be easy on the outside. There'll be all sorts of pressures from without, but I need to start deep inside with my relationship with you. Lord, I want to put you first, and if there's something that's defiling me or distracting me, Lord, I want to set that aside because I'm committed to the bigger picture. And then finally, being holy means I'll become fiercely committed to personal purity. I think about all the other lines Daniel could have drawn that would have made sense from a human perspective. But instead, he he was looking at his life and saying, "I, I don't want to compromise even on something that seems like it would be a minutia or something that seems like it would be or maybe something no one would ever even really know. You could imagine the thoughts in his head if he was having a moment of doubt. My parents are dead or they'll never know. There is no synagogue or church to go to. No, no, it's not going to hurt anyone else for me to be involved in this. Um, maybe when I've built some credibility with the upper crust of Babylon, maybe then I'll introduce my faith to them. He could have had all sorts of excuses. But instead he said, no, on day one, My faith comes first, even if it costs me something. Daniel would live that way all the way through to the end of his life. And you know the story, when King Darius, down the road, issues the decree against prayer, Daniel doesn't say, well, you know, I'll just kind of do it in private so no one knows. No, he was used to saying, my faith comes first. I'm willing to serve the kings of this world, but I'm not willing to serve them on top of my king the King of Kings. Here's my encouragement to you as we begin this series. We'll explore a lot more of of the nuance and culture of what happened to Daniel. But I would encourage you, at whatever age you are, whatever stage you are, don't wait. The earlier in life you make a choice to seek and honor God, the more you'll see His power at work. It's very possible that if Daniel had not had faith there in chapter 1 that there would be no book of Daniel, there wouldn't be a rest of the story because he just would have blended in with the culture and nobody would have known the difference. But because Daniel stood out, God used his life in an amazing way. And by the time we get to the end of these six chapters, you'll see how Daniel single-handedly was used to shine light everywhere in the known world. Say, how how did a teenager captive from a defeated nation in exile end up affecting the whole world? Well, God was with him, and at each step of the journey, he kept putting his faith in God and putting God's priorities first. So I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment, and I want to ask you a few questions to reflect. Um, As we begin looking at Daniel... 
Sometimes we're tempted to see stories like this as so far away from our own experience that we almost dismiss their lesson. It was thousands of years ago on the other side of the world. The factors were all different. My challenge is that the factors really weren't that different. That Daniel was called to be faithful in a world filled with temptations and trials, just like us. That Daniel was called out of what was comfortable and into a situation where he had to stand up and stand out and sometimes stand alone, just like us. And that Daniel didn't have all the answers ahead of time and he didn't know what the end of the story would be. The same is true for us. So a question for you, what is your Babylon? Where is it that you're facing temptation right now to compromise, to keep quiet, to step aside, to wait until later, to let someone else go first. It's in those moments that our act of faith to put God first, no matter the personal consequences, will be rewarded by seeing God's power at work in our lives. In your Babylon, what would a set-apart, holy life actually look like? Lord, what would it mean for us as Christian believers here in southern Michigan, northern Indiana, pretty far away from literal Babylon, to live your kind of life, to maintain your values, to stand out, not based on our own greatness or talents or capabilities, but to stand out based on our devotion to you and then your power at work in us through that devotion. Lord, if there are things that right now have distracted us, distanced us, or defiled us, would you give us the faith to set those aside and to recognize that there's so much more to life? This week I was reading a book on fatherhood and it talked about raising sons of consequence. I was thinking about what that means. Well, what's the opposite of that? To raise a son of inconsequence. Someone who doesn't matter, who doesn't make any impact, that doesn't add up to very much. And it made me think, Lord, I want to be a man of consequence in this world. I do want to raise kids of consequence. I want our church to be a church of consequence. And here in the life of Daniel, we see a life of great consequence. So I pray that you would help us to make the first step decision in that direction, to recognize you've called us out and you've called us forward. 
there is a life that we're called to live, even when it means standing alone. We pray together for the courage to answer that voice that is calling out for someone who's not afraid. We look forward to the journey that you'll take us on as we say yes to you and as we walk forward in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. See you next week.